This is Planet Money from NPR. When John Malone graduated from law school, he started weighing his options. Like, maybe I should go into litigation. I don't know. Too much paperwork. Maybe I'll go into corporate law. Eh, too boring. And I decided I'm going to do neither of the two. I became a tax lawyer. <laughs> okay, but you were trying to avoid boringness. I was trying to avoid boringness, <laughs> but I became a tax lawyer. John does tax law for a bit. He clerks for a few years, spent some time as a litigator. And the more he practices law, the more this one idea keeps nagging at him. It's a thing that looks to him like a fundamental flaw of the justice system. There's a problem in the system that really the courts and the rules committees can't address, namely that if one party's better able to deal with the expense and the risk than the other, that's going to skew the outcome. The person who doesn't have the money is not going to be able to get justice. Money. Money is the elephant in the courtroom. John sees that often justice doesn't hinge on what's right or what's wrong, but rather how much right or wrong can people or companies afford. So he starts publishing papers about this. He's a professor at Georgetown by then. And at first he thinks maybe the solution is to just make justice cost less by making the system more efficient, like maybe reducing paperwork or something like that. And after writing a couple law review articles on this, I realized the only solution is a market solution. Like, this is not a judicial problem. It's a financial one. And we let people use banks or investors to finance all kinds of things, cars, houses, cell phones. So John thinks, why not let people finance their lawsuits? And rather than sitting here and continuing to write law review articles on it, I'm going to take a leave from Georgetown and try to start this business. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Karen Duffin. Today on the show, John leaves the ivory tower on a mission to bring capitalism into the courtroom, using an idea that countries and courts have actively resisted since the Middle Ages, something that people think might finally make the justice system into what it's always meant to be, or destroy it altogether. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Peloton and their newest product, the Peloton Shred. Get back on track with your fitness goals this fall with a total body workout experience. Peloton Shred offers live, on-demand running, strength, boot camp, and stretching classes. Discover the total body training you can get from Peloton Shred. Peloton is offering listeners a limited time offer. Go to OnePeloton.com and use the code PLANETMONEY to get $100 off accessories with the purchase of a tread. Greg Wasalski, Planet Money's newsletter writer. Brian Erstadt, editor of Planet Money. We've got feedback from a reader. This story is way too sympathetic to billionaires. The newsletter is not just for billionaires. It's for everyone. Where can regular people find this newsletter? npr.org slash planetmoneynewsletter. On behalf of billionaires, thank you for everything that you do. Oh, no. At the time John Malo left Georgetown, there were basically three options to pay for a lawsuit. One, you could try to convince a lawyer to do it pro bono. Two, you could pay for it yourself. Or three, contingency, where the lawyer represents you for free up front, but if you win, he gets a percentage. John is looking at a fourth option, something that stemmed from his days as a tax lawyer, when he'd worked with bankers who were trying to manage financial risks. He had started to see his work as a lawyer in the same way as risk management. Whether you're hired by the plaintiff or by the defendant, what you're really doing is managing risk. If you look at a lawsuit in purely financial terms. For the plaintiff, 
a lawsuit is an asset of uncertain value. Right? If you sue someone and you're seeking damages, in financial terms, that lawsuit is potentially an upside, an asset. You just don't know yet how much it's worth. And if you're representing a defendant, it's it's a liability of uncertain value. If you're being sued by someone, you might end up owing them money. So as a defendant, the lawsuit is a potential liability. To be clear, he is not talking about criminal cases. He's talking about large commercial cases tried in civil courts. The upsides or downsides on either side of those cases is a big, fat financial question mark. You know, are you going to win $100 million? Are you going to win $50 million? Are you going to win zero? That's a wide band of potential outcomes. Right, and every lawsuit is a gamble. On both sides, every lawsuit is has risk. That's right. If you're a lawyer doing a civil case on contingency, right, you took it for free and you only get money if they win, you're not only lawyering, you're also constantly hedging your bets. Like, how can I get the most justice, which in those cases, justice is money, in the least amount of time? All of this financial analysis drives all kinds of lawyerly decisions. Like, should I do more depositions? Should I file that motion or not? And the lawyer's job is to manage the risk and try to maximize or minimize the value of the asset or liability. There are, of course, people whose entire jobs are pricing and funding risks. Investors. So John starts looking at this thing that, at the time, people are mostly only doing in Australia and the UK. It's called litigation financing, where a third-party funder invests money in a lawsuit. If the lawsuit wins, the funder gets a cut. If it loses, they get nothing. So the funder takes the financial risk. And while the funder funds, the lawyer can just lawyer. But in the late 2000s, as John is thinking about all of this, this was still a pretty new idea in the United States. Maya Steinitz talked to me about this. She is a law professor at the University of Iowa. When you went to law school, um, was litigation funding a thing that was discussed? No. uh, When I was in law school, um, litigation finance did not exist at all. And why didn't it exist yet? Well, until about 10 years ago in this country, it was generally understood that it's a prohibited practice under an ancient doctrine that's called champerty. Champerty, the legal term for if you are not, say, the plaintiff, defendant, or lawyer in a lawsuit, if you are not directly part of that lawsuit, you cannot benefit financially from it. Champerty laws harken back to the unscrupulous lords and ladies of the Middle Ages. In uh, feudal England, uh, lords who had disputes with each other, land disputes and other disputes, would harass each other by funding their underlings' claims. Basically, lords who don't like each other funding lawsuits against each other for petty reasons, basically judicial harassment. And medieval judges eventually got tired of this, so they gave it a silly name, Champerty, and they outlawed it. And so this doctrine emerged in order to essentially protect the court system from being used for goals that it was not intended to. From henceforth, only people with an actual stake in a lawsuit can benefit from it. Uh, of course, we're not in feudal England anymore, <laughs> so we can certainly question when, whether the reasoning still applies. I mean, we, we do get to use running water and toilets, so there have been some advances <laughs> since then. <laughs> and, and a little thing called democracy. Oh, that. Right. In democratic societies, one 
basic right is the right to access the court system. Uh, our dispute should be resolved based on our legal rights, as opposed to whether you have more money than me. This is the same problem that that lawyer, John Malot, had been mulling over. What do commoners like you and me do if we have a legitimate lawsuit, but we don't have money? And he thinks, you know what? Champerty is outdated. Third-party investing will give more people access to the courts. In fact, he thinks, investing in lawsuits is the market solution he has been looking for. And John's timing is very good, because by the time he's looking at this in the late 2000s, Australia and the UK have started to allow third-party investments. In the United States, the laws vary state by state, so there might be states where they can invest in lawsuits if they write the contracts just right. So John decided to test the waters. He and another lawyer named Chris Bogart started a company to fund lawsuits in exchange for a cut of whatever they win. This was 2009. And we partnered up and, and raised the money. We actually raised the money at the the depth of the last financial crisis. Chris and John are buying their best litigation funding friends bracelets at the height of the financial crisis. But good news for them, as markets fall, lawsuits tend to rise. So the recession that has tanked so many businesses is very good for their new business. People don't sue each other when deals go well. They sue each other when deals go badly. Right, and a few deals went bad around that time. <laughs> a lot of deals went bad in the financial crisis. Right. Then on top of that, companies lack the money to fund litigation when times are tough. John and Chris hang up their shingle and give their company a name, Burford Capital. And just a few months later, they get a phone call from one of the top litigators in the country. He was handling a case, um, and the, the plaintiff, a real estate developer in Arizona, needed financing. And so he introduced us. This developer owned some very valuable land in Phoenix, but he was being blocked from developing that land by a bigger developer. So he sued. But 2009, this guy's in real estate, financial crisis. In the middle of preparing for his lawsuit, he ran out of money to pay for it. If he didn't get funding, he would basically have to quit the lawsuit and possibly lose his property. So Burford, John's new company, had a test case. Now they had to decide whether to invest. After the break, John and Burford put their idea to the test. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Salesforce, a customer relationship management solution committed to helping you deliver the personalized experiences that customers want. Salesforce, bringing companies and customers together. Visit salesforce.com slash learn more. Emmy, Grammy, Tony, and Oscar winner John Legend has a saying. Luck is just opportunity meeting preparation. By the time I was in that room with Lauren Hill, I was ready for her to hear me. By the time I was in that room with Kanye, I was ready for him to hear me. John Legend on the secret to his continued success. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. John and his new company are looking at their test case in Arizona, trying to figure out whether to invest and how to price it. And this is the part that people had told John would be the Achilles heel of his whole litigation funding idea. You're not going to be able to figure out what the value is and price that asset at the very outset. And I was convinced that wasn't true. John's like, but 
lawyers who do contingency fee cases, they have to price it at the beginning. And if you settle a case, you have people who disagree so strongly that they are in a lawsuit, they agree on a price. If they can come to an agreement on what the lawsuit's worth, I don't know why someone else looking at the claim dispassionately with enough information can't figure out what it's worth at the beginning. There are broadly two steps to pricing the risk of a lawsuit. The first part is, is it going to win on the merits? The second part, is it a sound financial investment? That first part, will it win, is what makes lawsuit investing a specialist's investment. Because the facts of any particular case, along with the relevant laws, lawyers, judges, jurisdiction, jury, everything related to that case is very, very specific to that case. This is why it helps to be a lawyer if you're a lawsuit funder. So John and his Burford buddies start looking at the details of this Arizona developer's case. We thought he had the better of the contract arguments, and um, and the discovery had uncovered useful information. They assess it like they might assess a case that they were trying themselves, and it looks winnable. So on to the second part of John's equation, financial analysis. How much will it win? How much will it cost to get to the end, and how long will it take? Not just will it win a lot, but, you know, lawsuits can drag on forever. So they also need to know how quickly will this particular suit wrap up. And this Arizona lawsuit looks good on both fronts. There's potential for tens of millions in winnings, and it's moving quickly. It was a month away from summary judgment briefing, and it was six months away from trial. So John says, we're in. We will give you, Arizona developer, $5 million in exchange for 40% of whatever you win. We launched on October 25th, 2009. We closed this deal in December of 2009. And just months after that, the jury in this trial came back with a verdict. I remember exactly where I was when I when I got that verdict and uh, I happened to be with my kids and they wondered what was wrong with me because I was jumping up and down and screaming. <laughs> The Arizona developer won a lot, about $110 million. And the cut for Burford, based on their contract, would have been a $44 million return on just a $5 million investment. That's a big payoff for a small investment. For, for a new business, for a new business, it was a big deal. I was happy to see that the business model was working. It wasn't just law review articles anymore. Now, that particular lawsuit did get a lot more complicated, but in the end, Burford did still get a very solid return on that lawsuit. And then Burford started to sign on. More clients and a bunch of other commercial litigation financers started getting into the business too. And their clients weren't just smaller companies. Big companies also wanted funding. Really what happened, because of the downturn, Everybody was like a David versus Goliath, it seemed, right? (laughs) Even the big companies didn't have the money. I mean, we did deals with large financial institutions where they had been cheated out of money. But at that moment, they did not have the cash to fund litigation. And remember, for a very long time, the idea of this kind of lawsuit financing had been not just sort of illegal in the U.S. It was also considered just kind of icky. The idea of treating justice as a financial asset or liability. But in any crisis, personal or global economic, you often try things that you might have resisted before. And during the financial crisis, companies tried litigation financing, and they liked it. Out of the ashes of the recession, this industry rose. 
funders now have billions of dollars in capital, either invested or waiting to invest in lawsuits. There is a smaller market for very small consumer claims. But for now, most of the money seems to be going to large commercial claims, going to corporations, not to commoners like you and me. It's not David versus Goliath. It's Godzilla versus Goliath. Tom Salerno, a lawyer in Arizona, He says the returns on lawsuit investments appear to be very high, though we should say a short seller did recently question Burford's numbers. The returns on their portfolio are nothing short of stunning, nothing short of stunning. So good for them. That's that's capitalism as we know it. Yeah, but do you want capitalism in the courts? (laughs) Yeah, there's dark underbelly to it. There is very little transparency in this market, so we cannot fact check this. But Burford and other funders say, we only write checks. We do not control the litigation itself, though they can still exert significant influence on a plaintiff. And Tom represented that Arizona developer that Burford invested in back in 2009 in a subsequent lawsuit against Burford and others. And the lawsuit itself is very complicated, but at its core, it gets to this alleged dark underbelly of third-party financing. And that dark underbelly is similar to the concerns that people had back in the Middle Ages, that if we allow people to take a financial stake in a judicial outcome, it tips the scales of justice. And of course, we have long allowed lawyers to take a financial stake in lawsuits, contingency funding, where lawyers take lawsuits for free and get a cut if the lawsuit wins. But one of the big differences between a third party funding your lawsuit and a lawyer funding it on contingency is that your lawyer also has something else besides money invested in you. When a lawyer takes a contingency fee matter, a lawyer owes an absolute duty of loyalty, a fiduciary duty to their client. There are a lot of legal and ethical boundaries around how lawyers have to treat you, their client, in your quest for justice. But aside from general contract laws that govern basically any contract, there are very few legal or ethical boundaries specific to how a funder must treat you. That lawyer is bound by ethical rules and restraints that the third parties like the the Burfords are not bound by. Okay, but they might be putting similar pressures on the client, but one of them is bound by these legal ethical guidelines and the other is currently not. Yeah. And so the things that Burford could do, a lawyer could never do. All of this gets even trickier as funders start to fund not just individual lawsuits, but a whole bunch of lawsuits from a single law firm. Like, will your lawyer listen to you, a single client who brought him just one case, or the funder who pays his firm for many cases? It can go wrong, um, and it does place a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of the lawyers to be the buffer and be the representative of the client. Maya Steinitz again, who taught us earlier about Champerty. She says, amidst all of this debate over litigation financing, let's remember money is a problem we will always have to deal with in the justice system. I tell my students in in the first year uh, course on civil litigation, I tell them we're not in the philosophy department uh, (laughs) where we talk about pure justice and pure truth. Mm -hmm. We are the people who tell our clients how much truth can you afford, how much justice can you afford. As a lawyer, it's very unpleasant, by the way. Lawyers don't like doing that, but we deal with the real world. You know, compromises. 
Most people do not like to think of the legal system that way, as a compromise between how much money I have and what kind of justice that might buy me. But however you feel about it, money in the judicial system is a fact that we will probably always have to live with. It is, and if we start kind of peeling the layers of the onion, um, we won't cry as much. <laughs> It's the opposite of peeling an onion. You just went with it, man. I respect that. <laughs> I was going to mix my <laughs> metaphors and just decided to just finish with a metaphor. <laughs> okay, so onions... <laughs> I, I'm not going to listen to this interview, I don't think. <laughs> Just the boss listen. <laughs> If you have a lawsuit to tell us about, a story idea, any kind of feedback, you can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at Planet Money. Our show today was produced by Aviva DeKornfeld. Our supervising producer is Alex Goldmark. Bryant Erstadt edits the show. I am Karen Duffin. This is NPR. Thanks for listening.